welcome back to the Recovered Ish Podcast. Today, as you may or may not have gathered, we are going to talk all about Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo therapy, if you will. If you've been around here, you know that I absolutely love Taylor Swift and I do song breakdowns. I did a whole Taylor Swift therapy episode, so feel free to go back and listen to it. But I feel like there is something specific about Olivia Rodrigo that we need to break down and talk about. Not all songs warrant us talking about how they impact our mental health, but those that do, I think are really important, especially when it comes to a genre like pop music. It tends to be women who are most popular in pop music. And as a result, it means that pop music is typically considered less good, less real. Women are less, you know, pop stars are less talented than other people. And some of this is a fair critique. I think especially when artists are more like generated artists who don't write their own music, don't produce their own songs, or don't really have a hand necessarily in that. There are a lot of incredible female artists creatively really leading the charge on who they are and what they're saying. And I think it's really important that we give them credit where it's due. I talked about this on the Barbie episode too, just how women's interests are often degraded and especially with music that is really, really prevalent. So yeah, that's what we're going to get into today. So like many of you, I obviously found out about Olivia Rodrigo through the pandemic with driver's license. I feel like driver's license literally probably showed up on my FYP and that's how I discovered her. And there are not a ton of artists, I would say, besides Taylor, who I really feel like are album artists. And I'm not saying that there aren't amazing artists out there whose albums are worth listening to. I'm just saying me personally, I tend to be, let's say if you categorize my music, I would say 90% of what I listen to is Taylor Swift. And I would say everything else is really like a mix of other things. Maybe another 1% would be Lana Del Rey, maybe 1% Phoebe Bridgers. And then everything else is kind of like a mishmash of Casey Musgraves, Maren Morris, Beyonce, random people that I don't even know their names because it's just like what the trendy music is at the time, and acoustic covers. So if you think that I have great taste in music, you are not in the right place. This is not a music critic podcast by any means. I am just a girl sitting in front of a microphone, talking about why I connect with certain music, why my clients connect with certain music, why women, I think, connect with certain music from a mental health perspective, especially female songwriters. I love because they capture something very specific about the female experience. And I think Olivia Rodrigo captured something really specific about the female teenage experience. She was 17 when she wrote Sour. She was 19 when she wrote Guts. She is 20 now. What I really want to talk about are some of the cool things that she does and why I think she is popular at this moment in time. Yeah, I just feel like we haven't, I don't know. I mean, since Taylor Swift, because Taylor Swift was a teenager when she wrote about things, but Taylor Swift was different in that obviously Olivia exploded onto the scene so quickly. Even Taylor Swift, like her first album was not that successful. I think that because Taylor Swift was country when she was writing her songs, a lot of her songs tended to kind of try to capture that she was older than she was. Not all of them. I mean, obviously in Fearless, she wrote the song 15 and things like that. But I think Taylor Swift was very concerned about being wholesome. 
And I think there's a lot of evidence in that of not just the topic she wrote about, but she didn't curse. She didn't, was not part of her brand to be revealing at all. I mean, she literally did not curse until folklore. She did not talk about drinking in her music until reputation. And Olivia has come out of the gate quite frankly, like, I mean, as a Disney star, which is really interesting to me, because if you think about the way like Miley was portrayed and Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez and all these girls that tried to break out of Disney prison, for lack of a better word, a lot of times they were vilified. There was a big rebellion that happened and there was a lot of criticism about how they dressed, what they sang about, all of that stuff. They were kind of branded as bad. Where Olivia has kind of out of the gate cursed. She's talked about sex. She's talked about drinking as, you know, being underage. She's been like angry in her songs. And yet she has not been pinned as a bad influence. And I think part of that is hope. I mean, I would love to say that part of it is the culture that we live in now and things have changed. And maybe partly they have. I also think that people didn't have, like she became a star so quickly and unexpectedly. People literally did not have time to brand her negatively because I think people truly did not think this would be successful. So like the media was not bracing for like Disney girl gone bad or anything like that. I also think part of Olivia's success is that she has these very ragey, angry sort of lyrics and music, but she also has this very media trained, proper, polite sort of narrative in the media when she does interviews. Anytime she's speaking, she is not like angry and cursing outwardly at people asking her questions or things like that. There's almost this split that kind of happens between how she presents herself sometimes in music and how she presents herself in interviews. And there's also a split in her music. And so I think what's really cool is it's not just different emotions that Olivia plays with. It's also her music is very split in these kind of different ways of being. And it's a little different, I think, than someone who is just like a country artist that's playing with different instruments or just a regular pop star that's playing with different sounds within the pop genre. Her, although the album feels, both albums feel very cohesive, it really feels like it plays on this split between slower piano ballads and pop rock angsty sounds. And she demonstrated that split really well with having Driver's License be the slower ballad, the piano song, and then Deja Vu being angrier. And then she repeated that formula again this year with Vampire being the slower piano ballad and then Bad Idea Right being more of that angsty kind of song. And then I heard the whole Guts album and I heard the song All American Bitch, which I just feel like if you had to pick actually one song, like I think she could have called it All American Bitch because this song kind of encapsulates the whole album where it flips back and forth between these. It really explores 
the double bind that's put on women, it has anger in it. It also is kind of sarcastic. It really explores that flip. She kind of talks about in the verses, she has this higher note. She is softer in the way that she sings. She talks about all the expectations that are put on her and is a little sarcastic. And then in the chorus, she's angrier and she's playing on the word all-American girl by saying all-American bitch, which again, that word all-American girl, she's kind of taken all-American and then replaced girl with bitch as the schism between how she's expected to be and how she feels on the inside. I want to get into this song specifically because it encapsulates the album, like I said, but I also think it's doing something for Olivia Rodrigo's album that the Barbie monologue did for Barbie. It is just showing the double bind in women, the impossible standards, and bringing it into mainstream culture and giving women a space to feel angry and feel their feelings about it. So let's look at this in the song. And it's really cool in the song also because there are spots in it where she says all American and then it's cut off and then she goes into the anger parts of it. And it's not until the end of the song that you hear the full lyric of all American bitch. And I, as a young woman, really relate to the song as someone who grew up with a ton of anger that was not really safe to be expressed through, you know, what I was taught in the media. I had so much perfectionism growing up. This song feels like a relief to my younger self. And I have been exploring that with other clients too. And I've been hearing from all of you that you've been saying that as well. And I know Alanis Morissette did this and kind of broke through with a lot of her songs in the 90s. But yeah, I want to get into some of the actual lyrics and break down some of the things that I think make this song so powerful and are such a good metaphor for understanding what women go through, this double bind, and how it impacts our mental health. Right, she says, I'm light as a feather, I'm stiff as a board, I pay attention to things most people ignore. I looked up what I'm light as a feather and I'm stiff as a board means. It's actually a game that girls play sometimes, I guess, at sleepovers. And it's like a game where you kind of pretend like you're possessed. <laughs> she, This could be a reference to kind of like not only is she chill, right? She's light as a feather and she goes with the flow, but she also has like boundaries and she's stiff and can defend herself and she can kind of play with both sides. But it also may be allusion to that childhood nostalgia potentially too. I pay attention to things most people ignore. I've loved the TikTok trend where people talk about the things they pay attention to. I feel like all of us with anxiety could have written that line for sure. All of us that have a tendency to read into things, to overly analyze things, to all of us that have been told to worry less, I think that is such a relatable line. It just captures so much of what it is like when you are searching for meaning in everything and how exhausting that can be. And she goes, I'm all right with the movies that make jokes about senseless cruelty, that's for sure. This is a way that she's alluding to the fact that women are often degraded in the media or violence in general is kind of glorified in our culture. And women a lot of times see this and are just expected to be fine with it and not have a reaction to it at all. 
the whole song is a really good example of the double bind in women. And if you don't know what the double bind is, it's a specific phenomenon that often happens in women with careers where if they are assertive or strong or show leadership capabilities, they often are thought of as being bitches or being aggressive or hostile. Where if you looked at the same behavior in men, this would be seen as someone who was strong, who was in charge, who was confident. And it's extremely hard for women to find that balance. You can do the same thing. And when women in leadership position, often their clothes are critiqued, the way they talk is critiqued. I'm very self-conscious on this podcast, for example, of saying the words like, of saying the words you know. It's hard for me to make firm statements sometimes because I worry about how I will be perceived. And I can get so caught up in that and get tongue-tied while I'm making this podcast, for example. Not because even I worry that that many men will listen to this podcast and not take me seriously. This is not for them. But because that has been ingrained in me as a woman in society. And it is far, far worse for women of color, especially Black women. They are often considered angry, and there is a really toxic trope about the angry Black woman. So I think it's really powerful that a girl that is as young as 19 when she wrote it, 17 when she wrote Sour, is writing about the double bind because it also starts to happen to women when they're young. Olivia herself in an interview talked about how this album is a reaction and a way that she's processed her anger and her feelings about being thrust into the spotlight, about feeling used by the industry. Vampire is such a beautiful example of how she felt used for her fame by this older man who essentially took advantage of her. And this song goes back and forth between those positive qualities of her, how she's expected to be, how she tries to show up, which she also does in the media, like we talked about. And then her music is this safe space where she can be herself, let out her anger, and curse. If we look into the research on anger too, what's really interesting is that there's a huge anger divide and anger gap. Women on average are significantly more angry than men, which I think is really fascinating. This was actually a study that was done around the world. It was data that was taken from a Gallup World poll. It used data from 100 countries. And and what they found is that in 2012, women and men had similar anger levels. By 2022, that gap widened significantly by six points. A lot of times people have talked about how this may be connected to the Me Too movement. Even if you look across the world, you can see women are uprising in Iran. And of course, we've had the overturn of Roe versus Wade in 2022, which I think is absolutely tied to how much anger has been going on. The pandemic contributed to this with much more labor falling on women who primarily are the caretakers or care for their children. And then you can even cross-reference this with the fact that there's a lot of data that shows even when women and men both work the same amount of hours, they're both splitting the household income, taking care of children and housework around the home still significantly falls much more on women than men. And then the study also further revealed that if men are the ones that stay home and women are the breadwinners, women still help out much more around the house than men do when the roles are reversed, when men are the breadwinners and women are not. So while the double bind was created as this concept that talked about women in leadership and positions of power and has also explained the caregiving gap at home, the double bind also extends in many different areas of women's life. And specifically, Olivia Rodrigo is talking about when she is a young woman, the boxes that she's put into, as the Barbie movie talked about, there's no way to do it all as a woman. You are either going to be 
too much or not enough. You are either going to have a career and be successful, and then you'll constantly be told where are your kids, who's watching your kids, or you'll be a stay-at-home mom and you'll be told that you need to look good and get yourself back together and your life can't just revolve around your kids. It is an impossible standard. And what's so cool about this song is it really clashes in the music and also in the lyrics to demonstrate this double bind and this way that Olivia herself essentially has to tie herself in knots to appease the culture of what it's like to be a woman. And she uses a strategy called text painting or word painting, which is where in a song, the lyrics also match the music. And she goes back and forth between in the verses. She sings in a very high registry. The music is very light. It is soft. And then it completely contrasts into more of the pop rock punk vibe during the chorus. So let's listen to this. So she kind of goes back and forth in this. And it just does such a good job of explaining what the double bind, I think, feels like. She says, I'm built like a mother and a total machine. Again, that softness, like a mother who, right, has curves, but also a machine. She is hard. She is strong. I feel for your every little issue. I know just what you mean, where she's empathetic. She makes light of the darkness. I've got sun in my motherfucking pocket. Best believe. Yeah, you know me. She is even just talking about the play of light and darkness. When I heard that line of I've got sun in my pocket, I immediately thought of the Natasha Benningfield song, which is Pocket Full of Sunshine, which was very popular around uh, when Laguna Beach came out. She sings on it like I've got a pocket full of sunshine and how, you know, and that song, if you actually look at some of the lyrics, it also talks a little bit about this. So I think that is kind of what Olivia is referencing, where it's like, She has sunshine, she can, in her pocket, she doesn't get impacted by negative things, the world can say things to her, and she's fine and doesn't impact her. Then in the chorus is when we start to get that more intense music sound. She says, you know, like, I forgive and I forget, I know my age and I act like it. I love that because that is such a play on act your age, act like a lady. Women are told so much that they're not allowed to wear certain clothing. They need to act their age. Men are never told to act their age. It is just something that really women, I feel like, are told, or especially in regards to dressing because of trends and fashion. It's so often that women are told, like, you need to dress your age. You need to act your age. This isn't appropriate for how old you are. I mean, I think about Kiki Palmer and what happened with her not so long ago, where her boyfriend and the father of her child publicly shamed her for what she was wearing on Instagram and was saying she needs to act like a mother. She needs to dress differently now that she's a mom. And it's been something that I have been struggling with too of, am I supposed to give up my whole identity when I become a parent? So often women are not given the opportunity to have an identity outside of being a parent. And it's really confusing when you've spent 20, 30 years of your life being a different person and then you have a child and you're supposed to give everything up and act like a mom. What does that even mean? You become a mom in a split second. 
Speaking of anger, if you're looking for a therapist to help you process your anger and deal with it in a healthy way, my practice therapy for women is accepting new clients. We have therapists located in 27 states across the country. If you're looking for virtual therapy, we probably have your state. And we also have three office locations in the Philadelphia area. We just opened therapy for kids. So if you have adolescents or teens in your family that are also struggling, we see kids ages five and up. To learn more, visit therapyforwomencenter.com or therapyforkidscenter.com. Yeah, so I love that line. And then she flips back. She goes, I'm light as a feather. I'm fresh as the air. Coca-Cola bottles that I only use to curl my hair. I got class and integrity just like a goddamn Kennedy, I swear, with love to spare. Going back and forth between expectations. She has class. She has integrity. She is, you know, fresh. I think we could think is like fresh-faced of young. And then we go back to the chorus of forgive and forget. I know my place. I love when she says, I know my place. I know my place. And this is it, which is a play on people telling her to also know her place, act her age. I'm sure people told her because she was a Disney star that this wasn't her place, that she didn't have a right to be a pop star, and she needed to kind of follow this specific Disney trajectory, probably where her first album didn't have cursing in it. Olivia really knows how to use a curse word. And then the bridge is just so phenomenal. I don't get angry when I'm pissed. I'm the eternal optimist. I scream inside to deal with it. I mean, when I heard this phrase, I heard about how women are not allowed to be angry. And we actually have studies that back this up that say that when men and women express anger, especially in the workplace, especially when it comes to someone who is a public persona or someone who is in a position of power or leadership, men, when they express anger, are taken more seriously. They're thought to be passionate. There's a study that says that when men express their anger, people view them as more confident about their opinion and more credible where when women express identical emotions of anger or say the same thing in arguments, people perceive them as more emotional and less confident. And this has nothing to do with how the actual expression happens. The study was done where men and women are saying the same thing in the same tone. Even when I think about the difference between Brett Kavanaugh and how he was perceived when he was angrily saying his opening statement and Christine Blasey Ford, who was very calm, even though we know from pictures and from watching the trial, he was much more angry, had much more outbursts than she did. She was pretty calm through the whole trial, though she was, she had moments of emotion, of course. She was labeled as the one who was emotional, where he was not. And that is not even with the same expressions outwardly of anger or emotions. It was with totally different ones. And she was still perceived as more emotional because of how women are perceived socially and especially in the media. And especially when someone is speaking out against something or in positions of power, this is even worse. And that is what Olivia is talking about. I also think about the fact that in women, often depression is anger turned inward. Women are much more likely to hurt themselves when they feel angry than to express their anger outwardly. Men are much more likely to be aggressive, to be violent, and express that anger outwardly, which I'm not advocating for. I'm not advocating for violence or aggression in any way. I'm just saying that women are more likely to hurt themselves when they feel angry and men are more likely to hurt other people. 
I also want to clarify, expressing rage and hurting someone in an aggressive way or hurting yourself is not a healthy way to express your anger. That is what happens when you suppress your anger. You don't allow yourself to feel it or you don't process it in a healthy way and then you have an outburst that you can't control. For women, often they're not allowed to feel their anger. There's this idea that anger is bad. It is a scary emotion. I know myself as a teen, I was terrified of my anger. And a lot of that was because I never saw anger modeled in a healthy way. I saw people being angry and having outbursts. I saw anger portrayed in the media as violence. And I didn't think that it was safe for me to feel anger. So I tried to pretend that I didn't feel angry. I tried to shove it way down. And that's a huge part of how I ended up with an eating disorder. And bulimia almost became this way that I hurt myself because I would cause myself pain. I also struggled with cutting and harming myself because that was a way that I expressed my anger because I didn't allow myself to feel it and I would have an angry outburst where I couldn't control it and the only thing I knew what to do was to hurt myself. Self-sabotage is also a way that we can hurt ourselves and channel our anger. We can feel like we deserve to be punished. We can feel like we don't deserve good things. And as a result, we will purposefully sabotage ourselves, even whether we're conscious about this or not. I work with clients a lot of times who struggle with self-sabotage and we finally get to all of their anger and they didn't even realize that part of the reason they were sabotaging themselves, whether it's in something that's kind of small, like procrastinating. I talk about self-sabotage a lot on this podcast and part of it is because I think it's really misunderstood. Self-sabotage can also be connected to fear and how vulnerable it is to put yourself out there and to try. So sometimes we sabotage ourselves, we procrastinate, we don't do the thing that we set out to do out of fear of putting ourselves out there and possibly failing. But another way self-sabotage can show up is you are purposely undermining yourself because you are angry at yourself. You think you deserve to be punished and you almost get this sick satisfaction out of twisting the knife on yourself. And that is something I personally experienced with a lot in my eating disorder, in my harm behaviors, in my drinking and my addiction. And I know in my work with clients, it's something that people really relate to also. And I know from the work that I've done with lots of women, especially women who struggle with some of the self-sabotage patterns, who struggle with maybe eating disorders, depression, alcohol issues, they're shocked to discover that they actually have a lot of anger issues that are just shoved way down and repressed. And this is why I always talk about how any surface level symptom that you see, whether it's acting out, whether it's an eating disorder, whether it's addiction, that is just what is on the surface. That is just what's being shown. It is like an iceberg and most of what's going on is suppressed and way under the surface. If this concept's interesting to you too, by the way, you can learn a lot more about this in my book, Not Drinking Tonight, which I'll link in the show notes. I talk all about this iceberg theory of addiction, as I call it. Men, when they let their anger get out of control, are more likely to hurt someone else or to have an angry, violent outburst against someone else and be aggressive. Anger is not a bad emotion, though. So often people think humans are not meant to feel anger. Anger means there's something wrong. And anger is just like any emotion. So many times I see anger dismissed as a secondary emotion or an emotion that you don't actually need to feel. And Anger, just like any other emotion, is just data. Anger is a really important emotion because it tells us that a need of ours is not being met. We may not be supported in the way that we need to be supported. Or anger can also be linked to expectations, whether those are fair and realistic expectations or unrealistic expectations that aren't expressed that we are expecting someone else to read our mind. But I often think a lot of times with women, with moms, mom rage is a very real thing because you are giving everything to a child 
We already talked about the inequities at home between men and women and caregiving. And it is a sign that a woman needs more support and that there is something going on. So to go back to the song, I just want to finish up kind of going over some of the lyrics. The bridge is really phenomenal. I don't get angry when I'm pissed. You know, it's really that to me touches on just women are not allowed to be angry. They're not allowed to portray that they're angry. They're supposed to shove it down and pretend they're not. I'm the internal optimist. I scream inside to deal with my anger. And then she really wraps it up with the outro, which is all the time. I'm grateful all the time. I'm sexy and I'm kind. I'm pretty when I cry. I think of the monologue in the Barbie monologue where Gloria talks about how important it is that women are grateful. And I think with Olivia, it's even more important because she is this child star. She got this instant success. She probably feels a lot of pressure that she can't feel how she feels or feel angry or frustrated or overwhelmed by her life because her dreams came true with the instant success of Sour. And how crazy that is that women aren't given the space to be angry or complain. And so often, if we think about toxic positivity, we're forced to feel positive. We're forced to feel grateful. I think about that, especially with motherhood. Women aren't given space to feel frustrated or overwhelmed by their kids. There's so much caveating of, I know I'm lucky. I know I'm so lucky. I feel grateful. I'm grateful for my kids. I know I shouldn't feel this way. But when we put all those shoulds and parameters and we don't allow ourselves to express how we feel, it gets worse over time. And I talk about this on Instagram sometimes that, you know, you don't have to be grateful all the time and you are allowed to feel more than one way at once. You can feel grateful while also feeling angry. Research does show that gratitude is a great tool. It can help us put things into perspective. It can help us remember that we do have certain things that we want and life might not be as bad as we feel it is in that moment. It helps us take that zoomed out point of view. The problem is when we use gratitude as a way to bypass our emotions, where we say, I'm not allowed to feel angry at my kids or my job or my life or the world because I have X, Y, and Z, or because I have more than someone else. And when you weaponize gratitude in that way, it causes you to feel worse later on because all you're doing is suppressing how you actually feel and trying to replace it with gratitude. Instead, what is helpful is to give yourself space to feel your emotions, to feel angry. And you can also try to work on coping skills to manage your anger and have a gratitude practice that is separate from that. So often, many of us grew up with parents that also said things like, you can't complain, you need to be grateful because look at all you have, look at what other people don't have. But again, this is toxic positivity because it's forcing people to feel a different way rather than giving people space and saying, yeah, life is hard. I understand why you feel that way. What can we do to support you in moving through those feelings? I think what's really cool about this song is Olivia is giving space to, you have a right to be angry about this double bind. You have a right to be angry about these impossible standards that you're held to, right? I know my age, I act like it. I know my place and this is it. She's saying like, I have a right to be angry about this. I have a right to sing about this and my place is here. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And this is something I see a lot in my office and my work with clients with women, how much we are not given space to be angry. It is even significantly worse with women of color and black women. There is such a toxic trope about the angry black woman where 
Black women are really not given the space to be angry and are very quickly labeled as hostile compared to white women too. Another thing that I think is really relevant is I was doing some research and there's actually a poll that was taken that surveyed men and women from across the world in 100 countries and they surveyed their anger levels. And in 2012, they found that men and women reported similar levels of anger. But by 2021, women reported anger that was six points higher than men's. So I think part of that is definitely the pandemic. My guess is it's been even worse since 2022 when Roe versus Wade was overturned. But we're seeing this all around the world. I'm thinking what comes to mind is the uprisings of women in Iran. This jump in the amount of anger also is probably connected to the pandemic, where the majority of caretaking and child rearing and essentially homeschooling that had to happen was more likely to fall on women compared to men in heterosexual households. The concept of equitable division of labor and the mental load is also a new concept. So a lot of women, I think, are just waking up to this idea and starting to recognize how unequal division of labor is in their homes, where this wasn't even a concept that I think our parents thought about, let alone our grandparents. And we have research now that says that if men and women are both primary breadwinners, they split finances in their house and they both have jobs outside of the home, women still take on a disproportionate amount of caretaking and household duties. If a woman is the primary breadwinner, she is more likely to take on more household and caretaking duties in comparison to when the man is the primary breadwinner as well. So to go back to Olivia for a second and just to wrap this up, obviously we broke down All American Bitch, but there are a lot of other really amazing songs on this album that go into anger. Special shout out, I think, for Pretty Isn't Pretty. It is so great with just really breaking down societal expectations of women. Some of my favorite lines from that song, I love when she says, you can win the battle, but you'll never win the war. Fix the things you hate. You'd still feel so insecure. And I try to ignore it, but it's in everything I see. It's on the posters on the wall. It's in the shitty magazines. It's in my phone. It's in my head. It's in the boys I bring to bed. It's all around. It's all the time. And I don't know why I even try. So good. I think that just really explains, again, the double bind, the contradictions, what it is like to feel insecure about your body because you change one thing and it's true. You find something else to obsess about, to not like about yourself. There's always something that the media is telling us is wrong with ourselves, that we have to pay money a lot of times to fix. Then the trends change. You need to buy new clothes, makeup changes. You need to buy new makeup to keep up. And it's just exhausting. I think Get Him Back is hilarious. It's also biting and angry. I think it is so funny and such a good way that she actually describes what it is like to hate someone and love them at the same time, to be so split over breaking up with someone, wanting to break up with them, but missing them, wanting them to miss you. The back and forth of all of it is just phenomenal. And I'm excited for the girls that are in that phase of their life growing up with this song because it's just amazing. If you want to hear more about the actual lyrics, I'm going to do more song breakdowns on my Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash recoveredish. And I take requests there and we'll do a whole episode on specific songs that you want to hear me break down. But for right now, a lot of you all ask me questions about anger and I'm going to dive into that. All right, we're going to get into some questions now. A couple of you wrote in and asked me, how do I deal with my anger in a healthy way? I want to say that anger by itself is not healthy or unhealthy. However, the way that we interact with our anger, the way we express our anger can be unhealthy. This looks like if we're turning our anger outward or inward, we're hurting someone else, we're hurting ourselves, 
or we're just interacting with our anger in a way that's causing harm for ourselves, or it's just something that we'd like to get rid of. I don't think many people like to feel chronically angry. And I want to be clear, everyone has a right to feel their anger. This advice is specifically for people who are looking to reduce their anger because they know it is negatively impacting their quality of life. So I just want to caveat that because I think especially with this topic, there's a lot of very real anger. It is an appropriate response to injustice in the world. It's an appropriate response to feeling powerless. In order to deal with your anger in a healthy way, I think about it just as how you would deal with any other emotion. We want to use coping skills that will help regulate your body and discharge maybe some adrenaline if you feel that adrenaline coursing through you. Some of my favorite coping skills involve separating myself, separating yourself from that situation. Maybe that's going on a walk, listening to music. Breathing is a really fantastic coping skill that you can do anywhere. If you're someone who starts to feel yourself bubbling up, it's really important to start noticing because often people who have angry outbursts, they practice this so many times that there's no space for them. They don't even recognize sometimes that they're feeling angry. The first sign they see of their anger is once they've acted out, is once they've snapped at their partner. So we want to start practicing slowing down and being more mindful of all of your emotions in general. Anger can be a hard one to feel if you're afraid of feeling it. So if you want to work on your anger, you're going to actually have to start allowing yourself to feel all of your emotions. We can't pick and choose to feel certain emotions and not others. That's what we're trying to do when we say we want to control our anger, but we want to feel happier. If you want to feel joy in your life, you're going to also have to allow yourself to feel anger because we cannot pick and choose. So I would start there. I would start with just being more mindful of all of your emotions. And if you're someone who struggles to identify your emotions in general, start looking for clues in your body. Emotions all start as physiological experiences in our body. They can start with an increased heart rate, shallow breathing, your stomach being in knots, your throat feeling tight. This is all a sign that an emotion may be starting to brew under the surface. The problem is most of us are not very mindful. We don't notice when these things are happening in our body and we start to escalate without recognizing what's going on. This is why mindfulness in general can be such an important skill in regulating your emotions and dealing with your anger in a healthy way because we can't deal with our anger if we don't allow ourselves to feel it first. Especially with women, this is something that I really work with clients about. All right, another group of questions I got was around this theme that I want to move more slowly through my anger or I forgive people too quickly or I feel like I should care and I don't. And I want to say too that it's your life. You get to decide what is worth being angry about, what isn't worth being angry about. And there are ways that you can stand up for yourself, set boundaries, not tolerate things without necessarily being angry. If you feel like, you are suppressing your anger or not allowing yourself to feel angry, that is something different as we talked about. And it's very important to allow yourself to feel that way. But there is a huge wide range of human emotions. And I think we forget sometimes that just because you're feeling angry doesn't mean you don't feel frustrated. You could feel rage, which is slightly different than anger. You could feel sad. You could mourn what's happening. You could feel a whole wide range of emotions, not just anger. So just because you don't stay angry isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as you feel like you are still able to stand up for yourself and take care of yourself in the way that you want to. 
Anger can be a great catalyst towards giving us energy to move towards change, move towards things that we want to. But unfortunately for those of us that experience anger chronically, it also involves some sort of understanding because anger often is tied to rules or expectations that we have of ourselves. We have this expectation that people should do this or shouldn't do that, or we should or shouldn't do this. And part of working through anger also involves acceptance. That doesn't mean you give up. It doesn't mean you say what's happening in the world or to you is okay. It doesn't mean that you don't say that what happened to me wasn't okay. I accept that it happened to me, but I'm going to do everything in my power to try to change this and try to prevent it from happening to other people. But part of moving through that anger does on some level involve accepting what happened to you. But if you're saying that you feel like you're too quick to move through it, I wonder if you aren't holding those boundaries, if maybe there's some people pleasing going on and that's why you feel like you forgive really quickly and you may be struggling with communication skills. So I would dig a little deeper into that. I would focus less on holding on to anger or making yourself feel a certain way and get more curious about why you're quick to forgive Are you having those hard conversations? And in that forgiveness, are people apologizing to you? Is their behavior changing? Is there some sort of commitment that's being expressed about how things will change in the future? Or are you just letting everything roll off your back? I also got a lot of questions about how do I release my anger appropriately? And I think what's interesting and unfortunate that I discovered in the research is that I also got a lot of questions about how do I deal with my anger and release it in an appropriate way or what do I do when I'm in public? And I want to say that unfortunately we've learned through research that if you release quote unquote your anger through aggression, you actually teach your brain to associate aggression with anger. And you will be teaching yourself that you may need to, if you punch a pillow, if you yell, if you have the need to exert or hurt something or break something. You're teaching yourself that that is the way to work through your anger. And according to studies, it shows that actually when you do some of that stuff, you get more angry as a result. So we don't want to suppress our anger. We don't want to not allow ourselves to feel it, but we also don't want to necessarily teach ourselves to be aggressive when it comes up. You have a right to feel and discharge that anger. You can listen to music. You can go for a walk. You could go for a run. You could do something that makes you feel powerful. You could talk to someone. But often we have this idea that we need to channel our anger into something, and that's not always the case. It can be really effective to actually help yourself calm down when you're feeling angry, like deep breathing I was talking about, some of those more calm coping skills that actually bring your body back into equilibrium. Of course, you can write an angry unsent letter, and there's a lot that can help with that. You can learn about you can learn about why you're angry. You can write it and then be so grateful that you didn't send it. It can be a great way to practice not saying the first thing that comes to your mind, for example. But I do want to kind of dispel the idea that you have to release it in some way. You also can process your anger and work through it, and you don't have to necessarily have a big outburst or do something with your anger to recover from it or work through it. Someone else said, I got angry at something today and I felt so much shame. Is this common? 
feeling shame around anger is so common. And this is something that I call a meta emotion. It is an emotion about an emotion. And it often happens when we're judging ourselves for how we feel. And this is why I actually think it's really important to allow yourself to feel all your emotions because so often people will ask me, I am processing them and it's not helping. And a lot of times if you're stuck with that, it's because you're judging your emotions or you're ruminating on why you feel the way you feel rather than allowing yourself to fully feel it. And remember, allowing yourself to feel anger doesn't mean you have to do anything with it. It doesn't mean you need to punch a wall. It just means you allow that emotion to come up inside of you and get curious about what the emotion feels like, what information this emotion is trying to tell you. Anger, along with any emotion, is just data. And when you shame yourself, when you say, I shouldn't feel this way, you keep yourself stuck because you're not letting that emotion move through you. Anger is also, I got some questions about asking, is anger genetic? There is a genetic component to anger. Certain people are more predisposed to be angry. You're also influenced by how you see anger modeled, not just by your parents, but also by society in general. And that's why I spent a lot of time in this episode talking about how anger is perceived very differently in men and women. And there are much more consequences for women when they display their anger, especially women of color. So that's why it is much more common for women, especially to feel shame about it, because they know that there are higher consequences for them when they feel anger, let alone when they express it. I love chatting with you all today. I hope that this was a great episode. If you have other questions about anger or other topic ideas you have for me, feel free to shoot me an email at podcast at amandaey.com, or you can also call in at 813-444-8683. Again, that's 813-444-8683. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy from my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country.